You can, if you have a Bible with you, um, you can open up to Luke 15. We'll be reading verses 11 to 24. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and his and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is God's word. I'm just going to pray for Pete before he comes up. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. We pray for Pete as he preaches that your spirit would speak through him, that you would move our hearts to know and understand and respond to your compassion. We pray that your um, power would be at work through the preaching of your word just now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The mute button was in the wrong position. I thought I had it memorized which way. Um, okay, where were we? That's right. As God's people, we are thankful for, for what he has done. So we often look to, to like his, his great acts of like coming in, in human form for us, his great promises that he has made throughout the Bible, throughout human history, um, and how he's fulfilled those promises. We, we look to the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and we're thankful. And behind all the things that he has done, we see his heart of compassion. Right? We see uh, who he is. Now, in this series, we're starting a new series. We're calling it Compassion That Compels. Uh, but we're, like always, we are going to see the things that, that God has done. But what we really want to do is sort of step into his heart for us, who he really is and, and his compassion for his people. We want to look directly at, at who he is rather than just sort of know him through what he has done, if that makes sense. We're going to be uh, looking at this series for the, the next nine weeks. And it's sort of like you might sort of observe a, a beautiful flower and you might look at it from a number of different angles and just observe different things. We're going to look at God's compassionate heart for us from a number of different angles. And, and hopefully that's going to, we're going to see that his compassionate heart is what has compelled him to live and die and rise again for us. 
but his compassionate heart calls and compels us to respond to his love. Just as he opens his arms in embrace for us because of his compassionate heart, we are to respond and be compelled by that compassion to return his embrace and to, to love and, and show compassion to those around us as well. So we're going to look at this over the next nine weeks. As we do as a whole church, we're inviting um, everyone in the church to also read through the book Gentle and Lowly. Uh, and there's a, there's a study guide that should be available that you can do in your own personal devotion. So we'd encourage you to, to work through that in your own personal times with the Lord, but particularly inviting everyone to be a part of smaller grow groups, whether community teams or discipleship groups, uh, to sort of together look at this idea of compassion that compels. Now, we're opening up today uh, with this great passage from the, the prodigal son, which I, I think you can just see, uh, as Sarah read it before, shows the compassionate heart of our, our Father God. Now, in this story, the outline for today is that we're going to see the, the two lost sons. Uh, so as we get in, I'll, I'll read a bit more um, of, of the, the second son, the older son, and his reaction as well that we didn't see in that Bible reading. Uh, there's two sons, and both of them are actually lost. The younger son lost in his self-centeredness and entitlement. The older son lost in his self-righteousness. Okay, And I think we're meant to, to see ourselves in these sons. So we'll, we'll look at those, the two lost sons, but then we'll see the one who embraces the lost. And that's where I want us to, to really see and be struck and amazed at the compassionate heart of our father. Okay, so let's, let's get in with the, the two ways that we are lost. Now, this, this chapter uh, has actually got three stories of lost things. The, the first one is the story of the lost sheep, then it's the lost coin, and then it's the, the story that we just read, the, the lost sons. Uh, and the context for this is that Jesus is actually hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. We see that in, in verse 1 of chapter 15. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes are sort of complaining that Jesus is, is doing that and being kind and listening and talking to, to this group of people. So we actually have two sort of opposing groups that are then represented in this parable. parable. So one group is the sinners and tax collectors. They're represented by the younger son. They're sort of the, the self-centred, the wayward, the ones that have gone astray. And we've got the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors who are represented by the older son. They're the self-righteous uh, the ones that, that think they're in the right with, with their father but actually are far from. Okay, so firstly, the, the younger son associated with the tax collectors and the sinners. And I'll, I'll pick the story up in, at the start there in verse 11. Uh, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. Now this is a really abrupt and it's a very rude thing to say. This younger son, and commentators agree, is basically saying to his father, I want the inheritance that I'm entitled to and I want it now. Now we all know that inheritance, you, you receive that after someone has died. And, and it's very clear in the way that the, the son addresses the father here and asks for his inheritance and then goes and leaves him is that he wants it now and he wants it's as if he wants his father dead. That's what he is, he's saying here. Uh, I'd prefer if you were dead. 
I want what you can give me, what I feel like I'm entitled to, but I don't want a relationship with you. Uh, the motivation for the, the younger son, and, and we see this, we probably see this in ourselves, is wanting freedom. Right? No, no doubt there were sort of rules and, and things that were expected in his father's household. He wanted freedom from those things uh, and to be in control, to be able to choose what pleasures, what to do with his life without any sort of restriction or relationship with his father. Now, that's the first shocking thing in in verse 12, but there's another one in the second half of verse 12 because it says, and he, that's the father, divided his property between them. So the first shocking thing is that the the young son has asked for his inheritance now. He's saying to his father, you're dead to me. But the second shocking thing is that his father actually agrees and gives it. Right, And there's, there's a couple of ways that that this is shocking. Firstly, um, and particularly culturally, but we understand it now as well, like to, to be dishonoured so strongly by his son, to be disrespected by his son, the, 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 sort of the culture demanded that the, the father actually punish his son. In fact, the punishment for dishonouring your parents was to be stoned. Right? So those listening would have been shocked that the father didn't react strongly and and sort of discipline his child, but he's, he's actually divided his property and he's giving the inheritance. But the other thing that's shocking, and I'm, I'm personally very confronted by this, because I know when, when my children are, are essentially making dumb decisions uh, that I know are not for their good, um, and like the, the, there's a massive part in me that wants to control them and not give them the freedom to make that decision. And so, and, and that comes, there's a part of love that that comes from. And you think, well, the father here, surely like, surely he would stop his son from ruining his life and making this foolish decision. It's very interesting that actually the father does divide the property and enable this in his son. And I think the father realises, and this is sort of confronting, but the father realises that if he forces his son to stay... He's not going to have the relationship that he, he really wants. Right? He, he realises that the way, that in doing that, the son's still going to be there, but he's going to be forced to be there. And he wants a relationship with his son where his son loves him in returns, return and wants to be there. So in verse 13, what we, we all know is going to happen, happens. Um, the, the son squanders the, the money. We're told not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he's been given the, the freedom to indulge. Uh, he's, he's been given what he wants uh, to be in control of his life. But rather than freedom, he actually finds bondage. Rather than being in control... He's actually out of control. We see in verse 14 as the circumstances change and there's a famine in the land, this, this younger son that's wanting freedom and control actually has neither of those things. Um, pick it up in verse 14. Uh, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. 
and no one gave him anything. So there's a famine in the land, he's left with nothing. And just to illustrate how lost and how far away this son is, he's feeding pigs and he's longing to even eat what they would eat. To make this even more shocking and to, to illustrate just how lost he is, and the original hearers would have known this, the, the Jewish people, uh, pigs were unclean. And, and so they, they didn't eat pigs, let alone feed them and, and work in their pigsties. And so it's shocking. We're meant to be shocked by how lost and displaced this younger son is. Uh, the, the example I could think of, I'm not sure it's a good one, but it's, it's like a vegan working in an abattoir. It's, it's just shocking how far from what it, where he wants to be he is. Uh, and in verse 16, those words there at the end, no one gave him anything. See, he has surrounded himself with people like him, other self-centred people, entitled people, and when he is hit on hard times, no one is giving him anything. Right? He's got no real friends. All of his relationships are conditional. It's very confronting. Now, I want us to, to step back and, and consider ourselves in this story because I think we are, Jesus tells this to get us to think of, of where our place in the story is. Are you a younger son? Right? A younger daughter? Are you convinced that living in pleasure, irrespective of God, will lead to happiness? Right, do you see all the, the good things in, in this world and do, do you think that pursuing them and the pleasure that they can provide, irrespective of God and, and what he says, uh, will actually lead to happiness? Do you feel entitled that, that actually God should give you the things that, that you want? Now, there's great pressure in our culture. In fact, our, our cultural tendency... Uh, is to draw us toward the younger son. So right now, we live in a very consumeristic culture and our culture is shouting and it's hard. It's yelling at us and telling us that we have to pursue pleasure, that fulfilment in, in life is in pursuing our own desires and needs and putting our own happiness uh, before all else. Our culture is telling us, our world around us is telling us that God is irrelevant, that we need to live our best life now, uh, that, uh, that the best life is to, to work hard, to play hard, to indulge yourself. I don't know, it's, it's hard. This is, this is ringing out in our ears, in our workplaces. Uh, this is in, in our schools, um, in, in different contexts of life. This is, this is hard and we're drawn to it because... Part of us, we see these good things um, and, and we want to indulge in, in ways that are inappropriate. Do you resonate with the, the younger son? Well, I want to look now at the, the older son or the older brother and he's associated in this story with the Pharisees and the tax collectors, so the, the self-righteous religious folk. Let me pick up the story there. I'll just read all of verses 25 uh, to the, the end of the chapter so you get a picture for the older brother. Um, now his older son was in the field. He came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, 
Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, bro- this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Uh, we see in this story that it's not only the, the younger son who's, who's clearly lost, right? He's clearly away from home um, and, and clearly living a, a lifestyle that is inappropriate and unhealthy and bad for him. But it's not just the younger son who is lost. It's actually the older son as well. And he's lost in his own self-righteousness. Now, what makes self-righteousness particularly hard is it's a little bit like having bad breath. Right? So what I mean by that is if you've, if you've got a bad hair day or something, like you just need to look in the mirror and you're like, Poof, okay, got to do something about that. Um, but if you've got bad breath, you're actually you, you're unaware. Right? You, need, you need someone else to, to help you to see uh, that you're walking around with, with bad breath. And I actually think self-righteousness is a little bit like that. It's very hard for us to realise that we are self-righteous. Just to to help you you see it, let me point out to you from verses 29 and 30 um, some of the ways that he's self-righteous. So on the surface, he's trying to make the claim that he is dutiful and upstanding, almost that he is the model son uh, I think he's coming from the perspective that the father should be delighted and happy that he has a son like his older son. Right, that's his, his posture. But the reality is, without leaving home, he's actually far from his father. In verse 29, he addresses his father actually far more disrespectfully than the younger son. The younger son said, Father, he just starts with, Look. In verse 29, four times he is just talking about himself. He says, I, me, my. It's all about himself and his goodness. And then in verse 30, uh, he, he addresses the younger brother, not as, as this brother of mine, but as this son of yours. Right? He's distancing himself. He, he thinks that he has been doing the right thing by serving, that he hasn't done the wrong thing, he hasn't broken commands, but he's actually relationally distanced himself and, and, and he, his relationship with his father and his brother is broken. I wonder if you're often like an older son. Your approach towards God is to seek to earn approval, right? to do the right thing. And if you're honest, your attitude towards God is that you deserve his love. 
right? You're the one that is doing the right thing and, and he, you deserve um, his affection. Uh, if you're an, an older, older son, perhaps your experience of, of church makes you feel a little bit superior. In fact, you, you can't help but sort of look around and, and see that others actually need to be a little bit more like you. Now let me just say that that is a dangerous place to be. And I know it's a place that I'm often drawn to myself. I'm sure that it is for you. Now it's, we, we can see these older brother tendencies in our culture and in our world as well. But unfortunately they are very common in our churches. Right? And I would plead with you. If this is, this is your tendency, if this is where you are, that you've somehow earned God's favour, uh, if, if you, you look around and you, you see others as being less deserving than you, then you are in a dangerous place. And I call you to see that actually you need to receive God's love. You need to ask for him forgiveness. Because in this story, um, especially from the older brother's perspective, as we, as we compare the, the two sons, um, he sees himself as, as righteous and good, not doing the wrong thing, always doing the right thing, and the younger brother as being just always doing the, the wrong thing. Right? And on moral, moral grounds, there seems to be this great separation between the two sons, great difference. But the reality is that there is incredible similarity between these two sons because both of them are actually estranged at this point in the story from their father. Both want what the father can give, but they don't want him. And you see how both of them are actually isolated and alone. Both of them need forgiveness. The other similarity is that both of them are welcome to be in relationship with their father. Right? We see toward both of them the compassionate heart of the father. I want to look at that, that now with our second point, the one who embraces the lost. Now, just as we're meant to see ourselves in this story, um, in the, the lives of the, the two brothers, we're to see God as the father in this story. We'll pick it up from verse 17 where the younger son comes to his senses. In verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? There's two things that are happening in this verse. One is that he is seeing himself rightly for the first time. He is seeing himself as lost and perishing. But the second thing is that he is seeing his father rightly as one who is kind and merciful. Do you see this, this change in the Son? And both of those things are so important, to see ourselves as, as sinners and, and lost and in need and to see the compassion and love and mercy of the Father. And, and so what he does in the, the following verses is he works out what he's going to say and how he's going to come back. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father, and I'll say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Treat me as one of your hired servants. There's two things that are going on here. Firstly, he's realised that he, he just can't go back and say to his father, hey, dad, can I, can I have some food? Like he's lost his, his entitlement. All right, he needs to, to go back and restore the relationship. He needs to say sorry and he is dependent upon the forgiveness and mercy of his father. So that's the fir- first thing. He, he needs to, to say story, sorry um, and to depend on the mercy of his, his father. But the second thing going on here is that he realises he needs restitution. Right? So in other words, he, he needs to... He, he, has, he has done something that there's been a cost to his father and in order to deserve uh, to, to even be fed a restitution needs to be made, right? So his, his point that he's, he makes there is um, no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's going to work as a hired servant for his food. Now this is, this is pretty significant. He, he's he's going to say to his father, he's going to say sorry, but he's realising that he doesn't deserve to, to come back as a, as a son, uh, but actually as a servant. And even to, to accept that, we can see that that would be a kindness and a mercy from the, the father's perspective. Right. That brings us to, to verse 20, which is the heart of this story and, and shows us the heart of the father and the heart of our God. Verse 20. He arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. There's so many things in here. While he was a long way off, it implies that the father had been there waiting. Presumably ever since his son had left, he was waiting and wanting him to return. While he was still far off, said that he had compassion. Now, that word there in the Greek, uh, it's, it's sort of like a, a gut-wrenching is probably the, the way that, that that word, sort of the, the mean behind that word. And there's a, there's a gut-wrenching that happens. Often when we have strong emotions, there'll be something physical that goes on in us. Now, this compassion of the Father, it is gut-wrenching. He is drawn and urged towards his son. He is for his son. He hasn't even heard the apology or why he's coming back, but he gets up and he runs. Now, commentators say that this is, this is in Middle Eastern ancient times, this is far more the actions of a, a mother than a father. Um, but he, he, just, he can't help but show this, this compassion that just exudes out of him and going and embracing his son. Now this here, we are meant to see a picture of our Heavenly Father and his compassion and his desire and his open arms of embrace for you and I. Verse 21, the the son starts on his sorry speech. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Right, so he, he gets to this part of the speech. And what's interesting, this is the sorry part of the speech we were talking about before, but he hasn't yet come to sort of the restitution, how he's going to make it right. And before he gets to that, 
his father just jumps in. And this is beautiful. His father jumps in, he forgives, and he restores. Um, Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Right, all of this, what's going on here is the, the father is completely restoring the son, not, not as a servant, not with a need to earn or pay restitution for, for what he has done, but he, at his own cost, is saying, have this robe, have this ring, have shoes, be my son. You who were lost and who were dead, who I've been longing for, who I want to return home, is home. I uh, heard that in a, in a Sunday school class, there was a, a teacher once um, teaching this story and asked the question at this point, well, who was, who was unhappy that the, the younger brother returned home? And apparently this little girl spoke up and said, the fattened calf. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of true. Um, but the, the fattened calf is... Is this like that? That's a sign of how extravagant and wonderful this celebration was. You would only kill the fattened calf for the the the, the best of moments, the greatest of of celebrations. And I, and I hope you see, if you read this this whole chapter, this whole chapter is about God's heart to want to celebrate when those who are lost to Him, sons and daughters, would return into His loving embrace. And it's to communicate that that embrace is always there and always offered. I think we really find it hard to believe that God's our loving Father, that that embrace is always there and it's always offered. I think we sometimes find it hard to, to come to church. We find it hard to come to God because we're aware of our sin and we're sort of, we're sort of ashamed uh, and, and we feel like we're, we're going to receive a, a pointed finger from God or from others. Is that how, does that affect you sometimes? I'm sure it does. It affects me. I'm, I'm slow to go to God for forgiveness. I sort of want to do some restoration. I want to do a few things right before I will run to his arms. But that actually is not what this story is telling us to do. Uh, we're, we're to run and he will receive and he will celebrate as we do. Uh, sadly, I think some, some people don't come to church because not only do they, they think that God is judgmental, but their experience of Christians and church is an experience of, of feeling judged. Uh, that, that, that we would be like the older brother, the religious folk, that would be, be judging. Let us not be a church like that. Let us as God's people be compassionate and invite and open our arms to any who would want to come to God to receive his compassion. If you're here and you're wondering if you're welcome, if you're, you're sitting here and you're, you're thinking, oh, there's something that I've done or am doing and, and how could I come before God or come into a church, you are welcome. 
Would you come? Would you know God's compassion? Would you know that his posture to you in Christ is not a pointed finger in judgment, but it is open arms of compassion? And he promises that as we come to him and we acknowledge that we're sorry. And I think the, the younger son gives us a great example of, of just beautiful repentance. As we do that, as we repent of our sins, then he promises that we are forgiven and he longs to celebrate. Now, I, I first heard this story when I was quite young. Um, I grew up in a church family and my, my earliest recollections of this story uh, was that as I heard this story, I heard this generosity of the, the father to the son, I couldn't help thinking, well, hang on, isn't that coming out of the older brother's inheritance? Right? He'd given the full inheritance to the younger son. How could the father now give sort of more to the, the younger son. I didn't realise it at the time, but I, I was just completely in the, the older brother's camp. Because isn't this an injustice? Isn't he somehow sort of robbing the older brother to, to redeem and restore the younger one? And this is where this story is, is so amazing, is that this story actually points us to the fact that we have an older brother. An older brother that wants us to come home. And an older brother that is willing to pay the price for us to come home. This story points us to the fact that Jesus, our older brother, knew there was only one way that you and I could come home. There's only one way that we could be restored to the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. And that is if he paid the price. Now this morning we're, we're going to share a, a simple meal uh, it's the, the, called the Lord's Supper or Communion. What's so special about this meal is that it communicates to us and reminds us that we have an older brother who has paid the price. Jesus, the night before he died, he said to his disciples, he, he gave them bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Right? Our older brother went to the cross. His body was broken for you. He took the wine. He took the cup and he, he gave it to his disciple and he said, this is my blood in the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This meal reminds us of his sacrifice for us on the cross. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to invite 
you all to, to consider coming down and receiving this meal. I want to invite you to, to, to do two things. Actually, as you're preparing to, to come down and as you're coming down, would you spend that time on your sorry speech? Uh, would you spend that time acknowledging that you, uh, in this story, need forgiveness? Uh, that you have, have run away, that you have sought to control your own life, you have broken that relationship with your father through your sin. So would you come? But then would you receive the, the bread and the juice? And as you return, I want you to know that there's angels in heaven that are celebrating for each and every one of us. That it is a joy. The reason Jesus did that, this and he approached the cross was for the joy of you and I being his younger brothers and younger sisters. Of you and I having the joy of being embraced by our Heavenly Father. Now, if you're not at the point where you're, you're willing to come with your sorry speech, that, that's okay. Um, but this, this meal is for those that are at that point. Our kids, you are invited to join as you've received, been received into communicant membership as well. Uh, so let me pray that the elders will come down and once I've finished praying, in, in your time, come to receive uh, these elements. Let me pray. Father, we, we are sorry. We have sinned against you. We are not worthy to be called your sons and your daughters. We approach the table now, knowing and trusting your love, knowing and trusting that our older brother has paid the price and we in him are forever embraced by your open arms. We, Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this meal, that it shows us the compassion that you have given us. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, for being the older brother that we need, of sacrificing for our sake, paying the restitution uh, so that we could be at home. Uh, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for communicating in our hearts the, the love of our Father for us um, and empowering us to walk in your good ways. Father, I pray for each and every one of us uh, that we would be assured of, assured of your compassion, that we would know your love. And just as your love has compelled you, to show that love so clearly for us on the cross. So I pray, Lord, that we would respond and be those who would return your embrace, that we would be compelled by your compassion to love you with our whole heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and to love others as ourselves. And Father, we pray this 
In the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before we sing the, the last song, uh, the story ends for us and the older brother is still outside. We actually don't know what's going to happen. I think in telling that story, Jesus particularly wanted to stir up the, the religious folk, the, the self-righteous folk, uh, and, and there's the invitation, there's the pursuit of the father, there's the invitation uh, for, for that older brother to come in, to come home, to return. I want to invite us, just, just as we finish, to um, see the example of our older brother, Jesus. And just as he showed comp compassion on the least and the lost, would our hearts also be touched by the compassion that we have received to want to reach out to the least and the lost? No, it's so easy for me to be judgmental for those around me, um, to, to say that I want to see them come, come home <laughs> to know God's compassion. Um, but I'm, I rarely sacrifice. Uh, I, I rarely seek to, to embrace those that I know who are lost. Andrew told us before about the Explore course that is, is starting Monday week. I just want to put it on your heart maybe or, or, or give you the thought. Is there there's someone that you've been praying for, someone in your life who is lost, who is far, and you can be sort of that older brother or older sister that knows the embrace of your father, and that you might invite them. It might be awkward. It probably will be awkward. Um, but invite them to, to consider the hope that we have in Jesus.